Welcome to the Glass Lab podcast, where we talk all things product development. It's our goal every month to introduce you to the people, ideas, and development tools that are shaping the hardware products we all use every day. Hi, everybody. I'm Drew Westrick and VP of Technology here at Glassboard. And this week uh, on the show, I've got Alex Bandar, who is the ec- executive director uh, here at the Machine Maker Space. And I've also got Paul Williams, uh, who is the uh, uh, workshop manager here at Machine. And also returning is uh, Grant Chapman, uh, VP of Operations at Glassboard. And on today's uh, episode, uh, really, we're, uh, we- we've been here the entire time, but you know, Alex, what what is machine? Uh, what is the machine makerspace? Yeah, well, hey, thanks for having us. Um, the machine makerspace is a community of makers. We are the makerspace for the 16 Tech Innovation District. And people may have an opinion about what a makerspace is. And often you'll think about 3D printing, woodworking, welding. Uh, I was grateful to have a conversation with the 16 Tech management team a couple of years ago when we were scoping out what is the purpose of machine. And originally, they said, we want to help anyone make anything. And that's an enormously broad mission. And you can think of all the potential mischief and maybe things you don't want people making in a makerspace. So we underwent a kind of one-day visioning exercise and down-selected to, we want the machine to be a place where if you are a startup company with a hardware prototype and you're bottlenecked at that stage, We want to be the place where we can help you take that idea and turn it into a prototype to show investors, to show manufacturers, to show customers, and really help scale startups that are, like I said, bottlenecked with the hardware phase. Now, that doesn't mean if you're an artist, uh, we're going to turn you away. If you're a student who wants to learn STEM, we won't say no. If you're an adult who wants to explore welding as a potential workforce opportunity, we say sure. And in fact, I think that will be the majority of our membership, but uh, primarily we're looking to help launch startup companies in the tech sphere, but really we're looking to help, uh, as much as I said, we were trying to steer away from it. We're really looking to help anyone make anything. Oh, that's awesome. And I think what's really cool too is is that a machine exists, um, which is really difficult. I, I think uh, you know, obviously, launching a makerspace uh, in the midst of a global pandemic. Like I think you said, you know, before the show, you know, launching a makerspace is hard enough, let alone uh, doing so in, in really challenging uh, climate. But I think the other thing that's really unique about this makerspace is also sort of like. Uh, the campus that it resides within, right? So could you just tell us a little bit more, again, for people that don't know, uh, you know, exactly what is 16 Tech? Uh, you know, I, I know that they, they've kind of got their own plans, right? But I think it is kind of neat how machine fits uh, sort of as a puzzle piece into this like bigger, you know, campus, right? Yeah, 100%. And I'll go back and define a little bit more about what a makerspace is for people who may not have that mental image. Uh, that'd be awesome. Yeah, it's I like to define a makerspace as a place that's got tools. We teach people how to use those tools, and then we sell memberships. So think of a gym, but instead of working out, you build stuff. Um, And generally, it's open to the public, so it's not just a a fab lab in a high school or a a university machine shop or a a library laser cutter. We're really uh, open to the community. And uh, I do think makerspaces are awkward because they're still an emerging business model. Unlike a pizza place or a law firm that might have 100 years of case study about how to optimize, how to market, how to operate, uh, these are really only about a dozen years old, the oldest ones are. 
And everyone is still trying to figure out um, what's our majority revenue model, uh, who's our real customer. So that's why I think they're an awkward but a really delightful business to run. And I think you're right. The 16 Tech Innovation District nailed it by saying, we want a place where people can make things. And that's the makerspace. That's machine. And we also want a place where people can take those things and turn them into businesses. So that's why we're located next to 76 Forward, which is the uh, flexible office space, business accelerator, a place that will take your ideas and turn them into businesses. So we'll take your idea and turn it into a product. 76 Forward can help turn that into a business. And of course, everyone needs coffee. I like to say humans are just <laughs> engines that convert caffeine into art and software and business. And we need to keep that pump primed. Get your midday sandwich, get your after work beer or two or three. Uh, <laughs> and, um, and that's what the artisan marketplace or the amp is for. So I think 16 Tech has gotten exactly the right mix of those ingredients for um, the most innovative and exciting space in Indy. No, and that's that's awesome. I think that whole story you just kind of sold is part of the reason we moved so close. I mean, for those of you that don't know, Glassboard moved our building really close to the 16 Tech campus and have a space here at Machine, which we're recording this podcast. Um, and that whole ecosystem of having the amp here on site, having Machine here to access tools that I might need five or six times a year, but not every single day is an awesome opportunity for even what we'll like more established businesses like us to hop into this ecosystem. I think that's such an exciting thing because all these other makerspace or co-working spaces that you talk about are so startup focused that they don't ever integrate well with I'll call like the established business community, which is not what I'm seeing here. Here it's like, get in. This is why we're building this so everyone can work together in this awesome shared space of food and coffee and machine shops and cool access to um, 76 Ford and all their equipment and stuff. So well, that's where I, my point is I at. love your pitch for machine. And I also hate your pitch for machine because I'm jealous. Like I think back to, you know, 2012 when you and I started, uh, we had a company prior to Glassboard called EVC Racing and we wanted to create all electric go-karts. And we basically were relegated to, you know, carrying a bunch of go-kart parts into his mom's basement and like out of like their like utility closet, basically like, you know, trying to start a company. And I can assure you after taking go-karts up and down those flights of stairs, like, you know, a dozen or two dozen times. Carrying them, not driving yeah, them. Yeah, yeah. well, I, I would have driven them if, if we could have. Um, but, you know, a, a space like this would have absolutely been perfect, right? I mean, somewhere, somewhere where we could go and for, you know, a relatively low cost, get access to, you know, all of the tools that would have made sense. Again, I mean, we had, you know, we bought, you know, your typical like Lowe's little like toolkits and stuff. And, and we tried to get by and find other machine shops and stuff that we could work with to get our prototypes and stuff done. But it's like, you know, I just cannot imagine like if we would have had access to the same tools and resources that we would have like here at a makerspace. And then, you know, when we grew up a little bit and maybe needed that like first, you know, office space again, like we were taking, you know, meetings with like major like battery vendors trying to convince, you know, you know, two guys that they, you know, that they should, you know, sell us batteries and that we we're going to like kill ourselves, let alone our potential customers with them. Again, just, just having that environment that, uh, looks way more professional and you have access to, uh, the resources and the networking and all that other stuff. Right. So like, to me, like, like I think part of our excitement in participating in a space like this is like, it really is almost like a dream come true. Right. And I think, uh, people coming up and doing these types of things similar to, to what we were doing, like are going to have such a massive leg up by having access to, to these, like to all these resources. 
you know, three quick follow-ups there. Um, I think you're right about having access to the tools is important, but even more important is someone who can show you how to use them. Absolutely. And the fact that Glassboard was interested in 16 Tech and the makerspace that was going to be here even before I got involved, that gave me the confidence that A, there is interest in this kind of space, and B, there's already a group of talented people who might actually show us how to use these tools. So this really goes both ways. We're grateful to have you here so that we can market, we can podcast. Frankly, your studio rental helps our bottom line. But at the same time, I know you've helped people learn how to use a vacuum former or provided insight. And that's really why when you ask what is machine, I didn't say it's a makerspace. It's a community of makers. Right. And the third part, um, you're right, too, about sharing uh, vicariously, um, owning that professionalism by looking like you're in a, a really uh, professional space. That counts for a lot because often yeah. uh, people think that many people come here and they think their idea will turn into a product and their product will turn into a business and the world will hold up fistfuls of money and say, give me your idea. And they often don't realize that making the product is often the easy part compared to turning that into a business. Right. And you need every little bit of help you can get, a little bit of experience, um, looking good, uh, that network. Yeah. And so that absolutely is part and parcel of the of the whole gig too. Yeah, I, th I think the training thing is is super clutch. I mean, I know Paul, like that's, uh, you know, now that we're starting to able to do some, you know, classes and stuff here, I mean, how has that been going, I guess, for you? And, and you know, um, you know, tell us, I guess, a little bit about just like the courses and, and things that are starting to, you know, happen here. Yeah, so right now we're starting in November, end of October, going full steam ahead with offering our classes on how to use the equipment. So that ranges from the wood shop to the welders, to the laser cutters, to the CNC router, to the vacuum former, to the 3D printers, to like all the equipment we have. I could go on and on and on, but you know, like to use the equipment, you need to know how to use it. And if you already know how, you just need to know the safety protocol that we have, where everything is. So there's a lot to it and we're really excited to go full steam ahead. No, and it's, it's wonderful being able to walk into a space like this where I'm dangerous enough to know what I know how to do. And for the 10% I missed, and I was like, hey, Paul, where's XYZ? And somehow you just open the filing cabinet in your head. And you're like, it's in this drawer on the left next to the wrenches. And you shut the filing cabinet and it goes back in there. And it's awesome. Yeah. So, no, I think the, you know, when I was here, when we did the class on the big router, it was awesome to see the disparate levels of skills that walked in that room. Right. There are those of us that have a router that's just smaller than the one that you guys have and different. So learning where your safety switches are and, you know, how do you control this thing is great. Also being there in a room with a guy that's never used a router and like barely knows how to cut wood by hand with a saw. It's like, Oh, I get to use this. And you're like, well, yeah, we'll teach you how to do it. And I think that's so powerful in a space like this going back to where Drew said, like had I had access to a group of people like community of makers here, that the people that work here, the people that just hang around and people that rent here to pick their brain, how would you solve this problem? How would you do this? Not do it for me, but, teach me or give me the advice and let me go stumble along my own way in here. I think it's such a cool learning experience that you guys enable. And Paul, I can't wait to hear the list of menagerie of things that come out of here after the next year of all the guys trying to make weird stuff. Cause I know you're going to have the catalog of the cool things. That's super cool. Um, you know, I, I think now that we kind of understand a little bit more about like what, you know, machine is and all of that. I mean, I think something else that I'm a little bit interested in is just uh, a little bit of like your, you know, backstories in sort of, you know, how, how you both ended up, you know, here, uh, you know, at this, this maker space here in Indianapolis, I think that would be kind of cool to, to explore a little bit. I know, um, you know, Alex, for instance, I know you're not an indie native, right? So it'd be kind of interesting to hear a little bit of your backstory. Sure. Yeah. Um, so my own background is engineering, 
uh, specifically metallurgy and very specifically computational metallurgy, which is a, a great way to stop conversations at parties. Uh, it was also a good way to get hired by a, a small startup in Columbus, Ohio. I'm originally from the East Coast. And Did so that for pickup line work, I'm, I'm into computational <laughs> metallurgy. Um, thankfully, it did. And um, uh, there are maybe four or five of us on the planet. Uh, and uh, yeah, it was um, a great chance to write software for the manufacturing industry, mainly in the metals manufacturing business, aerospace, maritime, consumer electronics, automotive. Um, and if you get the physics right, you can simulate an entire metal manufacturing process or factory. Uh, you design the dies, you design the billet or the sheet, you form the parts. You can even virtually test mechanically or corrosion or crack resistant um, uh, properties. But uh, never actually got my hands dirty, never actually made anything. Worked with great companies from Apple to the DOD to um, Toyota. But uh, my sister, who is actually a, an artistic metal smith, uh, coincidentally, she went into metal arts. I went into metal industry. Um, she's a professor of sculpture and jewelry in Vermont, a much better welder, blacksmith, designer, maker than I. So she's the one who really motivated me to get my hands dirty and uh, gave me my first inkling about how capable sculptors are uh, when it comes to actually making stuff. And um, so I started a makerspace in uh, Ohio in 2008 as a passion project, and then that grew into a part-time gig, and then a full-time gig, eventually quit the day job after managing both for half a dozen years. And uh, TechCrunch, the technology website, called us uh, in Ohio the, uh, the largest and most active makerspace in the world. So that was very flattering, very fun. Um, but I quickly, quickly, after 10 years, uh, I realized my least favorite part about running the business was running the business. And I vastly prefer finding an interesting community of uh, people who want to empower the artists, the techies, the entrepreneurs, the creatives, the makers, and understanding what that incarnation might look like in that community, in that neighborhood, in that city, with the particular mission. Is it creative? Is it technical? Is it um, educational? And uh, sit down with the stakeholders and sketch out a business model, uh, staffing model, select the equipment, design the space, that is very exciting to me. So for the last couple of years, I've been helping other cities and institutions, universities, companies design uh, su sustainable uh, maker spaces. And when I was working in Cincinnati, uh, a group uh, there connected me with uh, 16 Tech here when they were scouting around for someone to help design and build their maker space. So I uh, was grateful for that opportunity and uh, the rest is history. Yeah, no, that's that's a really cool story. I think the concept of again, uh, it's it's really awesome to have uh, you know a makerspace, right? But it's even I think better to sort of like evangelize and sort of like bring uh, that concept or that model because again, like you said, I mean these things they, they really haven't been in existence for like a really long time, and I think uh, the more you can seed this concept in different communities. Um, people also, if they've seen one and they've seen one that's been run successfully, like other people will do it. Right. You know, if, if, uh, McDonald's puts up, sh you know, shop on a street corner, you know, quickly will follow Wendy's and Taco Bell. Right. So I, I think, you know, something similar to that, um, once we can prove out that this sort of thing works, especially in a handful of, of, you know, decent sized metropolitan cities, there's probably going to be a bunch of cities that go, Oh, well, you know, India has a maker space. Why, you know, why don't we have one? Right. And I think that's a really neat, you know, 
concept, right? In terms of, of looking kind of bigger picture in terms of, uh, you know, trying to replicate this, right? Yeah, we don't need to make this podcast episode the philosophy of making. Sure, but, sure. Uh, I do think I gave a TEDx talk in Cincinnati a few years ago where I think that the maker culture is filling a missing patch in the social quilt. So you might have had uh, back in the day, you might have had wood shop, machine shop, metal shop, even in middle school. Uh, you might have had a neighborhood garage. Sounds like uh, you both building go-karts in a residential <laughs> household fits that that mold. Um, and, uh, you, you have, of course, product development companies. Once you have cash, once you have an idea, you service a different type of, um, maker customer. And I think, uh, libraries serve a role, you know, schools serve a role, um, job shops, et cetera. But I think the, the maker culture, there is a, a gap we didn't know existed, uh, until maybe we stopped teaching this kind of stuff in middle school and high school. And for the last couple decades, now you've got a generation of uh, people who have no less desire to make than we did since we dropped from trees, but um, just haven't had the language of design, fabrication, or making. I, I think I could follow up with that. Like That's a visceral experience you just described, which was my childhood. My high school didn't have shop. We didn't have metallurgy. We didn't have a wrench in any program, but you know, enzymes were expected to go become scientists or engineers or doctors, lawyers, all those things, but no hands-on. It was all theory. Um, and that was really hard for me. So I became a gearhead and built, you know, a tuner car in high school. And that's what got me into engineering, but I didn't have any formal training or anywhere to go to learn, to tinker, to play with these things. Um, and it wasn't until I got to Purdue that I really got my hands dirty myself. Um, and then coming here again, it's Drew and I said earlier, this is just Candyland, right? Had I been 18 to 25 years old and found this place, it would have been like I died and gone to heaven because this is where you can cheaply learn how to make stuff and fool around. And it's, you don't have to have a business plan when you come here. That's the best part. You know, it's not like I have to go raise money to get access. Like, oh, I could come here on a weekend and, you know, buy a monthly membership and just play around to build a table at my house, right? All the way up to build my product of my dreams that I've been sketching on napkins for five years. So I think that's such a really underserved space in the market for people to learn how to do stuff that isn't taught in school anymore, right? Even at Purdue, I had one class where I touched a machine shop, one in five years because I went the victory lap, still only had one course in a machine shop and it was like three days in the machine shop and the rest of it was all theory. So this is such an important underserved well, space. And, and obviously, I mean, the, this this whole podcast is focused on, you know, product development, the tools behind product development. And, and in a way, I look at like makerspaces are tools in the product development ecosystem, right? Because I think for all, you know, there's been so many advancements in the digital space, right? I mean, they're now teaching middle schoolers how to, you know, how to write applications for iPhones and, and Android phones, right? Like it, it's absolutely crazy the leaps and bounds and the tools and the support and the mentorship that there is in the the software world right but in the hardware world where you know people like uh, grant and i literally exist and, and people like you uh, exist i feel like there's there's sort of like this like lag that's happening right in that um we are we're losing um and, and not like it's a bad thing but we are losing i think uh, a lot of people to the digital world. And I still think that, that like the world still does have to have, you know, houses and cars and, and things physically. And until, you know, Mark Zuckerberg can upload us all to the metaverse, I, I think that that's going to continue to be pretty important. So again, I mean, I, I why I'm so uh, passionate about, you know, particularly like having you guys on the show is I do think that uh, makerspaces 
uh, are a very like needed thing and, and are helping sort of revitalize that hardware, that playfulness that, you know, I don't have to do this uh, because I have to, right? Like, I, the, you know, I'm not outside, you know, cutting wood to, to fix the side of my house. I'm doing it for art or because I had an idea or because I just, I wanted to, you know, I, I wanted to try to build something or I had an idea and man, you know, maybe if that idea turns into something that's useful for me, maybe that's something that I can market to other people or test the waters or whatever the case may be. But I think like you have to have those spaces for people to be able to, to do that and access it. And, and again, in the world that we live in today, it's not, I feel like as common to like walk out to, you know, your dad's garage and just have it be full of a lot of the same things that maybe were sitting in garages 40, 50, 60 years ago, right? The world's changing and that's fine. But I do think that it is really cool uh, to, to bring some of this stuff back to like the forefront, right? And, and, and try to figure it out, right? Yeah, only because you, you mentioned this, both of you. A uh, couple more seconds and I'll let you pick another topic. Oh, but um, I think you're right. And so, Grant, when you mentioned you had had uh, three days uh, with machining right. experience, I had something similar in uh, my undergrad. And I had a, a shop partner who was a little bit arrogant. He was a chemical engineering student. And he was belly aching that we had to spend even those three days learning how to use a lathe, a mill, et cetera. And he asked the instructor, why do I have to do this? Why am I wasting my time with this class? I think it was a one credit class. And the instructor had a great reply, looked at the guy and said, look, I know you're going to become an engineer. I know you're not going to work 12 hours on a shop floor. Uh, you're going to design things. You're going to patent things. You're going to invent things. You will design much better things if you use these tools even once because you develop something of an intuition about what milling is like, what turning is like, what drilling is like. You know what's easily possible, what's almost impossible. And I think that exposure to people, giving them, I say, the language of innovation, it can be an intuition for making also. Even if you're making digital things now, uh, you know, oh, wait, I have an inkling for how a 3D printer works or what electronics might do. And uh, I'm really excited to provide uh, theory-light, practice-heavy experiences in several dozen fields, just so that if two or three years from now someone stumbles over a problem, they might not be the software developer, the coder, the designer, the machinist who brings their solution to life, but they know what things are possible and they know who to talk to. Uh, and that's, uh, that's a whole lot of fun. Yeah, um, for sure. No, it's the, the whole theory of you can't machine an infinitely thin hollow sphere. Right. right. Like that's the example they always give is all these engineers design parts out of senior design and things like that and go to the shop and go to the shop floor. And like, how do I make this? And everyone laughs because there's no way to make that, right? There's no way to get a tool in there. There's no way to cut that material away. And then 3D printing, printing ruined that because now you can make almost anything. So that, <laughs> that joke no longer exists. But in the real world for like volume manufacturing, it's a very true statement that was a very painful lesson early on in my career outside of my schooling. That was super tough. Like, Paul, one of the things I want to touch with you on is your history in art and how you guys literally want to dream up things that don't exist and don't always have to have a practical purpose. And it's all form over function. And how hard that is to translate into the world of the reality. How do you make things that are so creative and so different? Yeah, well, I guess going back to my background, I actually went to a high school that had a very big arts program. So I had experience with wood shops. I took sculpture classes. We were building benches my senior year. So I had that background. My grandfather is also a carpenter, so I was always exposed to woodworking growing up. Then I went to Heron School of Art and Design at IEPY, majored in furniture design and sculpture, got a certificate in leadership, which at Heron, you know, they teach 
digital fabrication, CNC modeling, like CNC milling, 3D printing, laser cutters. So being more familiar with that. And I worked in the actual Think It Make It lab, which is their makerspace on campus. I worked at a local library makerspace called Ignite. I also used to sell laser cutters and 3D printers at first makerspace. Right? I repaired them and serviced them. So I uh, graduated in May. How many months ago? Like five yeah. So uh, here I'm at, you know, the start of my actual career at Machine. So, you know, my background, furniture design and sculpture, which I would argue, you know, when thinking about furniture, you do want function, but you do want to consider form. So it's a balance of both as I've created furniture that it has a function, but it's not very like practical, like a table I built that has a hole in the middle. Like that's not really practical. It's more <laughs> thinking about aesthetics because looking and looks and everything. So there's like this nice contrast, I think with art, especially sculpture and furniture design and how can you dream something and make it not just for form, not just for function, but maybe adding like an absurdity to it. No. Right. And I think the, the cool part is you have this really amazing background that has so much practicality to it that most people don't get, right? You know, from your, your grandfather that kind of got you into the carpentry stuff and you got that exposure early along with what we just heard is an amazing amount of experience as you graduated, which I never had, which is such an awesome thing to hear and to see that you're doing and also having worked with you here, it's real. Like you have an intuition as, as uh, Alex was saying, like, how am I going to make this? I've seen you look at someone's product, oh, we shouldn't do it that way. We should use this machine. And, you know, how did you, what kind of programs got you down that path? And what kind of tools were the ones for the eye-opening ones? Like, oh, that's how we should do these kind of stuff. Like, what are the, what are those big eye-opening moments you learned either at Heron or, or in, your, in your high school? Um, so in my high school, like, they had 3D printers. We couldn't really use them at the time. You know, it's like, here's this 3D printer. The bed is disposable only for one print. I can't remember which one it was. But never 3D printed in high school. But we had a laser cutter. The laser cutter was the first thing that really unlocked the potential of making for me, but just efficient making. Cause you know, you can only do so much with hand tools early on in your career. So I'm not an expert in hand tools, but I became an expert in laser cutting pretty fast. So incorporating that in my projects, then I, you know, bought my first 3D printer, second 3D printer, third 3D printer. So 3D printing and then having going to Heron, getting access to the CNC router and kind of taking all of them and putting it in one. So for my projects, I feel like if you look at it, it's very difficult to tell what they were made with. So kind of using them as tools instead of just that single piece. Because you can laser cut something and be like, oh, that was laser cut. But how can you laser cut something, add a 3D printed part component to it, then a CNC part like to it and like make it all look cohesive as if it's the final piece. And that's kind of how my practice works in that regard. Like thinking everything as a tool to a means to an end. No, that's that's awesome. And I think that that the laser cutter is very similar to my first aha moment, which was a water jet. At Purdue, we had a water jet in the basement of Armstrong building and for all of our go-kart battery pack mounts and motor mounts and everything. It was always, how do I take a 2D thing, bolt it together into 3D and go cut it in the water jet? Because I could order aluminum on McMaster, it would show up next day. I could run down to the water jet and cut it same day. And that quick 2D you know, path to making was my first exposure in. And it wasn't until years later where CNC machining became an option that I was you know, able to play with. And I think that's a super normal like 2D to 3D graduation of like how your brain thinks about how I'm going to solve this problem. And the, the challenge is I find myself doing that a lot. Now I'm doing more plastics work. It's not appropriate, but I start in a 2D space, take a bunch of 2D parts, put them together into a 3D part. I'm like, oh, wait a minute. We have injection molded. I can fix this as long as I can find a draw angle. <laughs> Yeah, because I always, when I, my process, I always start with 3D. Mm -hmm. I don't think about materials. I think I design with the idea of what I want it to be 
how then I think about how do I make this the most efficiently and to actually build it to like I 3D model everything before I make it. And I never know how I'm going to make it. I think about, of course, how I think I'll make it along the way. It's like, if I think, don't think about how I'm going to make it, I may have a hollow spear. <laughs> so I, 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 of course, along the way, think about how can I make this? So like kind of starting with 3D and then expanding to the tools. Right, right. Now that's, that's awesome. That's really cool. I mean, again, I think so much of, of making is a confidence game, right? Like I think once you can start to build uh your confidence or you can sh- even just show other people. I think the confidence that's, that's one thing that I think that strikes uh, me about you all is, is like your confidence in the ability to make things like, it's not even that, that you necessarily can. I think that's important, but I think it's the confidence that I'll figure out a way. Right. And I think, whether you're in the product development space, like if there's one thing that I think like looking back on like my own career that has changed a lot, it's like, it's not that I feel like I know so many more software languages or that I'm, you know, a way better like programmer or coder or any one thing. I think it's like developing a confidence in going into the unknown, right? Like when, when I go in and sit in a room with a client, even if I don't know exactly how we're going to bring their product to life, it's that confidence to know that that we'll figure out a way and that there are tools and resources out there. And again, I, I think there's a lot of uh, similarities when it comes to making things, right? Is is over time, if you can build that confidence in people, uh, they're going to be more creative. They're going to want to do uh, more things and build more things because they they have the confidence to know that even if I've never done this before, I can do it. Like I've done it in the past, I can do it again. And I think you know, it builds, right? Being able to repeat that process over and over again is really cool to see. Yeah, I, uh, at first I, I was mentally disagreeing with the word confidence and uh, I might substitute that with mindset um, because there have been plenty of things that I wasn't 100% sure I knew how to do, but I had the mindset and um, the analogy here is uh, I also teach entrepreneurship and I have a slide that shows if you're on a career path, it's a, it's a long perspective shot of a railroad track. Like how far can you go to, how deep can you go? Uh, how can you leverage your best strength that way versus entrepreneurship? And it's an off-road Jeep uh, with no roads and you can go anywhere. <laughs> right, and right. Uh, it's the same kind of mindset that if you're not a, we'll call it maker, um, okay, what's on the shelves at Target? What's on the shelves at uh, your retail store versus I can go anywhere. And it's that mindset of um, the world is malleable. I look at this table, I think of it as a you know hard surface, but in a malleable world, I can press on, I can form, and I can shape it. And uh, and that's what I uh, really think is the difference between entrepreneur and careerist, maker and non-maker. I uh, kind of following up with that. I like the word confidence because the fact that. We at Machine, we teach a mindset, but we also teach a confidence, confidence to use the tools. Because if you don't know how to use the tools, you won't be able to use it properly. But if you're not confident in a machine, then we failed. So we're teaching confidence on how to use the machines. Yeah. So how to use a CNC router, how to use the wood shop and all that. And I definitely think there's there's a distinction, right, between like confidence and arrogance. Like I, I do think there's actually two very different things. Like like being, you know, and, and I think we're just using the same terms to sort of like describe the same feeling or the same things, right? Whether it's mindset or confidence. But yeah, I think just instilling in people that 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 like you can do it, right? Like that that it that you can come up with an idea that you can then uh bring that idea like into the real life physical world. Um, again, whether you're somebody that, that has a career path, 
that is going to end up being in creating and making things. Or even if you have a career path that's that's entirely different, I still think that there's a ton of value in, um, again, in, in just helping people bring things into the physical world. Like there's, sure. there's just, I don't know. I, I think there's a certain amount of like pride and satisfaction uh, that comes from that, that I haven't found in other worlds. Right. I mean, I've, I've created software programs and as much as there is like a euphoria of, you know, it clicking the compile button and you know, your code working, right. I, it, there just still doesn't quite compare to uh, having an LED, you know, blink in, in the real world. I, I don't know why I mean, I'm probably really biased in this opinion. You know, there's probably a bunch of software developers out there that disagree with that concept, but I really do. I, I think that there is just something unique about, uh, you know, creating things in the, in the physical world as opposed to the digital one. And, uh, some of my artwork uses both physical and digital. So when I compiled that first yep. unity app to do the augmented reality yeah, form, yeah. I just like Jeep, like just jumped with glee. Cause I'm like, I'm not really that software side of like things. So kind of tying that to my own practice, I was like, Oh my gosh, I can do this. Like anyone yeah. can do anything. If you put time and effort into it. No, that's, that's so cool. And that's my favorite reaction of I'm in this field. And I learned this thing in this other field that is nowhere near my field and it's awesome. And that's what I think machine can enable people to do that had no other outlet, right? Going out and buying a 3d printer, just to tinker isn't feasible for most people, right? Because a, they have no one to learn from and B it's an investment to go buy a piece of equipment and set up in your house and make space for it. But coming here, it's, Hey, I want to go try that thing. And it's in a, in a way, place, shape or thing that you can get in the driver's seat figure out what you're going to do and just drive and see where it takes you here. And there's the guidance. If you want it, I can go knock on Paul's door and be like, Hey, would this print? And most times you'll be like, no, that'll never print for the first time. Someone's going to show you, you know, a print setup, but you can teach them the three tricks of no, nothing unsupported. And you know, the three basics and then let them, let them go for it. Let them have a couple of failed prints. And that's my favorite part of this entire maker experience. Cause I'm never good at things the first time I I'm bad with my hands. I have bad intuition. The, the first Second, third, you know, we don't tell customers how many rows it takes, but we get there. But I think the, the strength I have as a product development engineer is I'm not afraid of failing. And I actually really embrace it that you just, you run full speed to the best idea at the time. And you ping pong off of there, 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 and you end up with the best solution. But because you were able just to jump in and make, whether it's 3D printing, whether it's machining, whether, you know, I don't care if it's software, jump in and try. Because most people sit there and stare at the problem for so long they give up rather than just taking a swing and see it where it gets you. And that's the the power that I see is here is people that have no access to it anywhere else can take a swing at it, machine their part, go on a router, go on a 3D printer, go on a laser cutter. And within a day or two days of training and work, have their first failed revision. <laughs> I'm not going to say successful, but have their first failed rev. And that's the most empowering thing. How are you guys enjoying your first day as our honorary marketing department? <laughs> excellent. Excellent. <laughs> I hear the benefits back. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's better. <laughs> No, I think it's, I think it's easy though, to, to talk about like this topic, uh, when, when you are like, like passionate about it. Right. And, and invested in it. Right. So, I mean, yeah, I mean, all, all jokes aside, I mean, I, I do think that, that like, um, you know, the reason why we are creating a podcast, you know, inside of a space like this is because we fundamentally believe in this concept. Right. Um, you know, we, I really want machine makerspace to be successful, but I also just want 
maker spaces in general to be successful. Because again, I, I think that, uh, it just, it just, they, they bring a lot, uh, to the table and, and I think give people some, some really unique experiences. So again, I'd love to participate obviously in all of that, but even just being around that and, and sort of being able to see, uh, some of the things that happen around this space is almost a uh, part of it too. Like there's almost a spectator sport sometimes. Uh, and, and that's okay. Right. I, I think just being around, uh, this atmosphere is also really, really cool and unique. You know, uh, two quick follow-ups. Uh, teaser and spoiler alert, uh, the Glassboard folks have already volunteered to teach some classes or host <laughs> seminars, so we I have. know you'll be able to we get your, your hands dirty. And two, I think you nailed it with the um, uh, just being around the community. Uh, it's really fascinating having an insight behind the curtain of the business model of a handful of different makerspaces. Um, I'm involved with maybe half a dozen and there's a, a common phenomenon where only about 20%, and that's even a high number, of members who go to a makerspace actually have a product or an idea that they want to bring to life. Uh, the other 80% are just fascinated by learning a new skill, um, uh, being empowered, finding that sense of confidence, hanging out in a social club with other techies, creatives, makers, and entrepreneurs. Who's more interesting? Who's more passionate? Who's more empowered? And so for that reason... Uh, we're launching a number of community build projects in order to uh, give that 80% of folks who just want to learn something and build something together but may not have their own idea, we're going to seed a few ideas and say, hey, for this month, let's build this together and uh, parcel out various aspects. So bite-sized chunk, maybe there's a 3D design component, maybe there's an electronics component, maybe there's a, a fab component. And uh, imagine a club of um, impassioned capable, confident, creative folks building stuff that they can actually kick the tires on at the end of the month. So that's uh, something we'll be doing very actively in 2022. No, oh, that's awesome. And, and I think it's a perfect segue, honestly. I mean, um, just, just, I guess, where do you guys see, um, you know, the, the future of, of machine going, right? Um, I mean, obviously there's, there's going to be events happening, uh, you know, currently, but I guess just anything else you guys want to talk about just kind of forward looking, uh, you know, for this space. It's a lot of exciting things. Yeah. yeah like, yeah. uh, like, uh, there's so much, I mean, I don't even know where to start. Like there's just, there's so much. Yeah. Um, yeah. We have a, um, a calendar of events for 2022 where, um, the basic, uh, basic use and safety classes for almost every tool in the shop, Paul will be teaching every month. Um, so expect to see, for example, every other Saturday wood shop, uh, every Friday, this or that class and check the website after that. But equally, we'll be launching uh, two events per month for the community. So maybe second Thursdays evenings for adults and fourth Saturdays afternoons for youth. Come in and take a, if you're a member of the, the immediate local community or a member of one of our partner nonprofits, come in and learn CAD, learn podcasting, learn woodworking, learn 3D design, um, uh, learn electronics. And be exposed to a few different things you didn't know you didn't know about. And sometimes my vision of people's lives are, uh, if, if you know the, the Plinko game where you have a bed of nails and you drop the ball or the disc and randomly you bump through life and maybe you get exposed to something from uh, an interesting skill you, you learned in school or your parents had a friend who worked XYZ job and you're interested by that. Uh, and But it's a very narrow cone of experiences that you can see, I'd much rather have uh, a space where you can expose folks to, you know, dozens of different skills they never knew existed, and then have an opportunity to engage in a meaningful way and say, hey, I really like this, we can then point them to 
uh, a two-year school, a four-year school, a Votech school, a YouTube channel, a podcaster, or become a member and hang out uh, with someone who's who's got a few more years of experience than you. Um, and then we're also looking at hosting maker meetups where we'll be inviting people who have, you know, interesting, passionate uh, expertise where they'll give uh, not a boring lecture, but maybe a 20-minute technology show and tell about how some uh, like a software like Pepakura, which is a uh, 3D origami software, can take a 3D model and unfold it into a 2D shape that you could then potentially plasma cut and then fold into a metal deer head that you can put on your wall. Uh, fun stuff like that. So uh, community build projects, maker meetups. Uh, we plan to push a lot more to our internal and external uh, digital communities. So folks who don't have the chance to come down every day, every week, every month can still engage with our community online. Uh, and then we look to have um, uh, innovation and design challenges where folks can come in and compete uh, on any number of projects to build together and uh, and have fun doing so. That's great. Well, hey, I just want to thank you both for uh, coming on the podcast and telling us a little bit more about this uh, this whole space. I mean, obviously, uh, Grant and I are super passionate about it. Um, you know, hope to be here a long time. And uh, yeah, I'm sure we'll have a bunch more conversations uh, about all this stuff in the future. So thanks again, guys. Thank you.